Hello and welcome to Biology of Business. I'm Kate and today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by international physiotherapist Gareth Wright. Hello Gareth, thank you for joining me. Hi, good afternoon Kate, good evening from uh, where I am at the moment. Uh, nice to uh, finally meet you. Ah, so can you describe to the listeners where you are because you're definitely in sunny, sunny climes and not wearing your winter jumpers and winter coats. Yeah, so so I'm based out in uh, the United Arab Emirates, which is in the Arabian Gulf, a uh, city called Al Ain, uh, which is about an hour and a half from Abu Dhabi and about an hour and a half from Dubai, and close to Oman, the Sultanate of Oman. So kind of in a, in a desert, I guess you could say. But we live in a beautiful city that is, has got a natural... Um, springs so it's, it's actually an oasis, it's an oasis town that's kind of grown and it's winter with us and winters in the desert are absolutely uh glorious so we're enjoying lots of um uh, outdoor time and beautiful cooler um uh, period of the year in the summer if anyone's ever visited Dubai or Abu Dhabi in, the, in a British summer, you probably made a mistake with your booking because it's incredibly hot and humid and most people try to avoid it. But our winters are, are beautiful. And yep, so we're enjoying that at the moment. So how have you ended up in the UAE, Gareth? Uh, well, yeah, there's, let me, let me start from the start because this is not the first country um, I've worked in. I've actually... Uh, we're in seven different countries um, in four different continents. But as you can probably tell, hopefully you can tell from my accent, I'm British. Um, I trained in at the University of Nottingham. Um, and I think ever since, ever since I took a gap year between high school and university, I kind of had the urge to kind of explore and travel. My gap year was in New Zealand, which was great. Uh, during summer holidays or the limited holidays we had during uh, the physio degree I traveled a bit in Europe and went to Canada so um, I kind of had this idea of oh where could I kind of take my career where could I take my passion um, I was very very much into sports and I kind of had these ideas of you know working for a football club or being on the, the tennis tour as a physio and all that kind of stuff and then you quickly realize that you know it's maybe not all that it's cracked up to be um and there's a lot of um yeah um but anyway um luckily my wife is thinks along the same lines as me and um she uh is a physio but then went into teaching and we both after a couple of years of saving some money um we decided to to travel and do kind of like a work slash travel adult gap year it was my second gap year um, but this was with my wife um and we uh, we actually so we started off volunteering in, in west africa i worked as a volunteer physio in a rural clinic in west africa for, for four months which was which was a great eye-opening experience um, I, I only saw one person with low back pain because uh, they had far more things to worry about. Um, and I had the kind of weird and wonderful neurological undiagnosed issues. 
and just general kind of rehab. Uh, but only one person complained of back pain. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, and then, then we traveled through Africa and then made our way to Australia, where um, I'd already kind of set up my license. Um, back in the day, you could kind of get a temporary license to kind of work for up to a year. I chose New South Wales because it was the easiest one to get at the time. Lived in, in Central Business District in Sydney with some Chinese students in an apartment, apartment for three, and there was like seven of us there. But we lived there, and then I, I found a job through Physio Bob or something like this. Um, Physio uh, Bob still going? But yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. But it, it was yeah. fourteen years ago or whenever. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I got some experience. I actually, I actually worked for a chiropractor. I worked for a chiropractor as as a physio in his kind of clinic setup. Um, got money together. Um, got paid quite well actually. And uh, and then we did some more travel in New Zealand, and Australia, back by South America. Came back, it was um, 2008, 2009, economic crisis, whatever. And our jobs that we kind of thought we would kind of move back into didn't work out. That was fine. So we just had to, you know, wherever, wherever either myself or my wife got the first job, we would relocate. And actually, it wasn't that far. I got a job in Manchester and I worked in, in private practice. Um, I did this for a couple of years, and and then uh, kind of through a few different connections and random opportunities, went we, we went to Dubai on a holiday, but we also managed to kind of like go and visit a hospital um, that was uh, well, actually the hospital I work in now. Um, friend of a friend, oh, go and check out this hospital. They've got a physio clinic and. You know, it might be something that you'd like to do. And we're like, yeah, let's go have a look. Or we just have a holiday. But then it kind of like, you know, prompted the thought of, oh, well, uh, physio is quite global. There are opportunities. Um, and it's kind of a, it's, well, it's a growing profession anywhere. It's been started in the UK in the 20s and 30s after World War or whatever it was. But um, in this part of the world, at least, it's probably 20 or 30 years old. Um, and like the local universities and colleges, maybe even less. So they've generally relied on um, kind of expatriate workers kind of coming in. And they've generally been, you know, Middle Easterners and Southeast Asians. Um, but I kind of felt like, potentially got something that I can offer here and it would be a challenge. It would be out of my comfort zone and it would be a different experience. Again, it helped my wife is kind of on board with these kind of somewhat out of the box um, ideas. So then we just started looking at what... You're a nomad. So, yeah, well, I was. I've, I've, I've been in one place for seven years now, which is the longest I've ever lived. Um, in a, a house or an apartment. This is where we currently are now. But yeah, that basically took us out to the Middle East. We, we started in Oman, which I can tell you about later. Then we did a three years in Qatar. And then we've been seven in, in my eighth year now, working out in, in the UAE. So that's 
kind of like the stepping stones of, of our journey. And to be honest, um, I didn't really have a, a big master plan. There was no like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to look. It was just like w one door opens, kind of goes through it. And then, you know, you, you find your feet, you build a bit of experience and then, oh, there's another door or there's another opportunity or a step or something. So I've, I've done quite a few different things in the last, I've been overseas 14 years. So one year was kind of Africa and, and Australia. And then I've had 13 plus years out in, in the Middle East, um, um, working in a private clinic, working in government healthcare, and and then where I'm currently at now, which is kind of like in between private and government. It's a not-for-profit um, hospital that was set up actually 60 years ago. Um, and um, yeah, so that's that's a potted history of, of my kind of um career and travels and i think what what's been great about uh you know having these opportunities as a physio it's not it's not like a massively well-paved kind of track that hundreds or thousands of people have done before me but it also it hasn't been that hard as long as you kind of you have your paperwork in order and you maintain uh you know your licenses and you don't do anything too silly um you you can actually can kind of move around you know, quite a lot and, and as you kind of build experience i think kind of employers or you know people in the community they kind of see that as oh that's you know this guy knows what he's talking about he's kind of you know um in my case now, kind of, I'm 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 heading up a kind of ther therapy department, and um, I think once in this part of the world, quite a lot of people will kind of come for like one or two years, and they'll do like a smash and grab, kind of uh, come and get some tax-free um, earnings, but maybe it's not a long-term option, and uh, that's fine. There's options for everybody, but I've kind of managed to kind of carve out maybe a little bit of a niche, and as I've kind of grown and, I'm a, and I've been supported in that, like opportunities have presented themselves. Um, so that's been great. Um, so do you maintain your registration in the UK, even though you've worked out of the UK for so long? Do you still keep your HCPC registration or do you now yeah. have registration local to where you are? So, so, so I, I, I keep both um, because at least in this part of the world, so, you know, UAE, Saudi, Qatar, to get a license in these countries, they first require you to have a license in your home country. Um, so, yeah, I would always recommend you kind of... Yeah, so there's uh, importing your skill. They want to know that they're importing a skill set. Yes, yeah. Important yeah. knowledge. Yeah. Although, although a couple of years ago, I think the HCPC they they made some changes and they they, they sent me out a reminder, and it, and it got lost in the post. But I managed to uh, quickly rectify it before I was um, I was uh, removed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so now you're heading up a team. So you've gone from being you, you first went out there as a physiotherapist. Now you're in charge of the the leading the team, uh, the rehab team within within the hospital. 
what I understand is that the team that you are leading um, is made up of uh, individuals from a wide variety of countries and cultures and training background and knowledge and experience. And you're having to pull that all together to deliver a service that meets the patients and the hospitals and the department's needs. Can you just describe how you've adapted to, to, to doing that? Um, yeah, sure. It's um, so. I've got um, the staff of twenty, uh, and when I last counted, we had thirteen different nationalities. So uh, yeah, it's very broad, um, and um, I think that's that can be kind of one of one of our biggest strengths. Um, but it also can bring up um, uh, challenges as well. Now, just for context, I didn't inherit 20 staff members. Um, it's kind of, it's grown kind of organically. I think if, if I was just like a manager of a department and I was like just <laughs> chipped in on, the, on, the, on, on, on a direct plane from Heathrow to Abu Dhabi and then whisk across the desert and said, here's your team, off you go. Uh, that would have been a, a bad decision on everybody's part, but I've kind of, I've kind of grown with the the team. So just for context, I, I work in a in a women's and children's hospital. I'm a musculoskeletal. I'm a male, clearly musculoskeletal physiotherapist, um, and um, what I've been able to do is um, basically kind of maximise the kind of in-house potential of the OBGYN doctors and the pediatricians alongside the kind of the pre-existing need for a kind of an orthopedic musculoskeletal physio clinic. So we have three three areas that we specialize in, MSK, women's health and pediatrics. Um, but when I started, we only had two members of staff um, and a part-time admin. Um, so at the beginning, everybody was doing a little bit of everything, but um, we had all this potential, which required systems and a little bit of a better understanding of marketing and a better understanding of kind of, we have these like gold mine of kind of pregnant ladies with pelvic girdle pain that we're just not really servicing very well. So my first job was to, to bring alongside me a, a kind of a women's health physio who was actually already here but needed kind of upskilling and kind of specializing into that. Um, now, bear in mind, the majority of our patients can speak English, but the majority of our patients prefer to speak Arabic. Um, so, it's, so it's not like they don't speak English, but, but they much would rather prefer to speak Arabic in their own country or Arabic in a, you know, an, Arabic nation. Um, when they're talking about their pain as well, the, uh, talking about the emotions connecting to your pain, it's much easier to do in your mother tongue than in a second language. Yes, yeah, 100%. Um, so now I, um, when I lived in Oman, I actually learned quite a bit of Arabic. So for, for, for a non-native, I, I actually have a functional Arabic, but I knew that my women's health team I needed to have Arabic speakers in my women's health team. I needed to have Arabic speakers in my pediatric team. 
Um, and I also needed to have a strong kind of administrative team that could deal with, you know, concerns and questions and kind of like that, that kind of customer experience element, which I kind of have learned is so important in healthcare. So basically, I started bringing together uh, therapists with um, uh, a willingness to work in an international environment, um, an interest in one of these three specialties, the ability to kind of work together so we're not kind of in silos um and um alongside that kind of bringing administrators so you know some people call them receptionists i like to call them administrators because they actually um without that they're an essential part of any kind of service and i wanted them to be kind of locally represented and um someone that a local Emirati person would be able to have a kind of a natural, kind of easy connection with. So, um, yeah, so the team is largely, well, let me just, who do we have? So we've got, we've got um, an, an Omani national, we've got Pakistani, we've got a Sudani, Somali, Syrian, Lebanese, Egyptian, a uh, couple of Indians, two Filipinos, Canadian, South African, one Brit, one Brit, and two Americans, and an uh, Iranian passport holder. So I think that's thirteen. Somewhat you can count. You can count later if you want to. Um, and um, and I've probably added about I've added two or three a year. And obviously, there's been a couple of people that have moved on as well. But generally, I've had kind of, I haven't really had a high turnover of staff. And as we've grown, obviously, the Women's and Children's Hospital, largely treating women's health patients, we're, we're a female, female uh, majority um, department. So my lead women's health therapist is, is a lady, my lead pediatric physio is a lady and my lead admin is, is a lady. Um, I have a, a male marketing and customer experience guy. So there's three, three ladies and two guys in my kind of, kind of mini leadership team. Um, and yeah, I think um, going back to kind of how we integrated all these together, um, mm. I think we've done it gradually. <laughs> That's the first thing. Um, most of them have um, I've hired 23 people in seven years and 20 of them are still here. So most of them have stayed and we've grown together. Um, so we, we've kind of experienced life together in, in many ways. Um, we're not all best friends, but we've seen each other kind of get married, have kids, transition, grow. Um, and I think what I've always tried to stress is um, we're, we're going to be a lot stronger working together <laughs> than we are kind of as kind of individual superstars or individual heroes. And, and, and whenever we kind of get patients who get like super attached to someone, and I'm, I'm like, I don't really like that because I want, I want them to feel like their therapist is, is great, but equally, I want them to know 
be aware that we have a team and the different people in the team have different strengths you know, at part a certain stage of somebody's rehabilitation um that we might have a kind of a more suitable therapy so like the women's health team might have a great and, and they, they they typically walk through challenging pregnancies or, or kind of chronic pelvic girdle pain uh urine incontinence things that 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 needs a, a specialist in that area but as and when the lady kind of you know comes out of that and that they're kind of looking to get get more back to sports or something a little bit more you know down the line we have we have other people in the team that can be maybe a little bit more suited to that so um we've kind of learned to use each other's strengths and i think the main one is we have um arabic urdu hindi kind of the indian pakistani main language and, and english that we can so everybody is bilingual uh, as a at a minimum uh that's fact there's only one brit because it's me and I, i've learned arabic but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a great environment for someone to come you could only speak one language so we have people that can speak arabic english we have speak people that can speak hindi english urdu english um, and we have people that maybe speak other languages like afrikaans or tagalog but they have kind of above basic level arabic so they can kind of meet greet interact break the ice um make people feel welcome and kind of um yeah help uh, my admin team they're like most of them can speak three if not four languages so they're they're like super helpful um, you can still buy a train ticket in French and maybe an ice cream in. I was going to say in German, but I can't. I can. I can order an ice cream in France, French. Yeah, you can buy oh. some stamps in Italian, but that's it. <laughs> putting us me to shame. So, I, I, so, so quite, quite a few of the team, at least, at least five, five of them, um, were uh, born and brought up. In the United Arab Emirates, so they, they they hold they hold different passports. They hold a Somali passport, a Sudani passport, Egyptian passport, Pakistani passport, Iranian passport. But they they grew up in the kind of multicultural Arab Asian global citizen um, uh, place that is the UAE. So they they they're and and they're I think. That they're kind of the glue that keeps um, you know, some of the department going because realistically, you know, like an expatriate like me or someone from Canada, we might come and we might go. We might do two years, three years, seven years. I'm a, maybe an exception here, but a lot of the um, the younger therapists and the administrators, this is their home. They, they might not um, they might not hold the passport. Um, but they've they've lived here all their life. They're thirty five, forty, whatever. Um, so it's I guess it's local knowledge and and their kind of local insights, their ability to deal with um, the patients. The majority of our patients would be would be Emirati nationals, sixty um, percent, and then the rest would be kind of global citizens, 
so yeah, but I think also I, as I've um, kind of done this journey, obviously I've grown, I've learned, I've made mistakes, I've seen kind of oh, what's what's kind of worked quite well. Um, I think at times I've had to be, I've had to be like a strong leader and make decisions and we're just we just need to do this and at times we've had to be a lot more kind of collaborative and kind of listening to kind of other people's perspectives because um it's not like when you're treating somebody's back as we all know it's not just about how well they move or how much pain they they say they're in it's a lot more to do with their kind of um cultural social familiar economic kind of scenario that basically either ramps up their this seriousness or the uh, irritability or well that's not the right word but uh, mm. it kind of ramps up the the perception their, yeah their concern for for, for this and um, or, or or the opposite and um kind of having that understanding of you know I guess what you could say what would be what would be of importance to the average person that we're uh, dealing with and kind of knowing maybe the subtle differences between you know Pakistanis and Emiratis or Emiratis and Egyptians like I can kind of see that now but it, it kind of takes time I've read read quite a few books and I follow some interesting people on kind of Instagram and, and different things like that and I think I'm also quite inquisitive. I'm happy to kind of ask people, oh, tell me about your background. What was it like at home? How, you know, how, how, how did your father kind of, you know, treat you? What was, what was school like? What were, you know, um, did, did you, how did you decide what university you went to? Or did, did you, did you want to be a physio or did your mom and dad send you there? Or um, it's very, very interesting. Um, because um, we kind of grow up in our, our our environment, and we kind of think that's normal. It is, but it's only normal for us. Uh, and we realise that actually, um, there's many other ways of kind of doing things, and especially like within families and cultures, religions as well. Kind of how things are done. Um, and of course, you don't need to agree with everything. Why should you? But if you if you kind of have that understanding, you can then you know be able to interact with people in a in a more powerful way. And if if they're your patient, you can kind of probably help their recovery um, in a quicker, more. Uh, I think if if the patient knows that you kind of get them in a small way even though I'm not professing to be Arab or Emirati or whatever, but they, they're like, they can tell from how you're interacting and how you kind of like address people, how, how you welcome them through the, through the door of your treatment room. Um, with what they do here is you should always uh, let somebody enter from your right. It's kind of, it's like a, it's a, it's kind of a move of honor kind of thing. So if you're both walking towards a door, um you should it's kind of like a 
who can let the person move to the right? So sometimes it's a bit of a joke and you're kind of like slide over to the left. So you let that person naturally take that position and little things like that. It just, you know, if you do that with a, with, with, with a local guy or anybody from kind of Arab or Islamic background, they're like, oh, that's, that's good. I, I like that. I, I'll, I'll probably listen to this guy a little bit more um, or at least kind of I'll give him a hearing kind of thing. So you're really describing, there's that phrase, isn't there? Seek first, I don't know who coined it, but seek first to understand rather than you wanting to be understood. So the idea of your first, you understand your audience, your patient, your team before mm. you can expect to be understood. And you're describing this in reality and how powerful it's been for you as a, as a leader and as a practitioner to make sure that you're seeking first to understand before you want to be understood. Yeah, I, I have heard that before. Yeah, I, I guess I guess that's that's um, yeah, I I, I I agree with that. <laughs> so what I'm really curious to ask is obviously in the world of physiotherapy and all of healthcare, there is some pretty strong dogma and people can get a bit tyrannical about their beliefs and their clinical dogma. And not only have you got this wide variety of um, cultures and nationalities, that leads, you've got a huge variety in terms of training backgrounds and what physiotherapy might mean to, I'm talking about the practitioners particularly, somebody that's trained in the US compared to somebody that's trained in Pakistan or trained in Somalia or... And how have you managed as the leader of your team this wide variety of uh, of, of integrating this, this clinical experience and um i'm guessing but i don't know i'm hoping you're going to answer you haven't actually been able to let the sort of clinical dogma come to the surface because it wouldn't make sense I, I, i'm curious yeah so i think I think it's fair to say there is there is a huge variety of levels of training and um, even scope of practice globally. And um, the reality is that you know nations like the UK, US, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, we've kind of have had physiotherapy for a lot longer. Our universities are a lot more. Um, uh, grounded and they have a, a lot more heritage now some sometimes that's not the greatest but um yeah so I, I think having the training that i had and then kind of testing it out internationally i had i didn't come out here like a novice i would say so I, I moved out here after seven or eight years i think if i would have come out here like two years after graduating, I maybe would have, I would have struggled a little bit more, but I'd already kind of experienced um, a bit of Australia, private practice, NHS, um, kind of charitable type work. And I, and I knew there was a lot of variety. Um, so yeah, so th there is a lot of um, differences. Um, there's, there's differences in scope of practice. And obviously we have to work within our scope of practice in the UAE, which would be slightly below what, what a kind of 
what the UK would be at the moment. So the bar is a little bit lower. We can't like inject joints, for example. We can't kind of refer for imaging. We're very much like a therapist and a, you know, a practitioner. Um, but for some people, maybe coming out of Philippines or the Middle East, their um, scope or, or practice of kind of clinical reasoning and kind of decision-making algorithms and just thinking about problems, they, they weren't necessarily exposed to that. It's not that they're not interested in that or they don't think it's important. They've just come from a, a background of, okay, this person has a radiculopathy. They're going to have eight sessions of traction. And then you're going to do some hydrotherapy and then you, you'll do some stretching and whatever, which obviously we know is not the way to manage patients. But um, I actually give them and I say, look, when, when the patient comes into our department, um, within reason, we are kind of in control of kind of what we kind of recommend and how we manage them. We're not taking directions other than being recommended physiotherapy we can make our own clinical reasoning and um some some of my staff have found that um eye-opening now i need to say when i'm interviewing people and if i am bringing somebody halfway around the world i have to have a very robust way of working out are these individuals going to be a good fit so are they open to trying new things are they first of all aware of what we can and can't do here and then also what I would expect them to do. So I typically will interview people two or three times at least. So first of all, I'd kind of get to know them, like a half an hour, 45 minute call. Then I'd talk a lot about the department, how we work, what our kind of ethos is, our vision, our mission, um, and our kind of approach, which is kind of education, exercise, and empowerment. Um, the three E's, um, and then then I'll kind of look at them clinically. I'm not super uh, into like they they must be the best clinician, but they they must be able to must be willing to learn, um, and they must be open to receiving feedback. Um, now sometimes that's the section where 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 I kind of start to get a bit maybe this is not the right kind of person if somebody thinks they know everything and somebody thinks they that you know they've got their degree and they've got some letters behind their name from a course and they they know it I'm, I'm not not that interested in in them because um we all know patients are complicated and complex and everybody's quite different so we do need like a variety of kind of treatment options um and then what I've generally done as well is I've generally gone for younger therapists who are kind of more open to being mentored and trained. So at the moment, I've got three three of my team. Uh, it's their first job. So they, 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 they graduated university and um, they're, they're essentially new grads in my department, one of them's been here almost two years and uh, two of them have been here a year. And I've basically kind of brought them on on like a developmental program. So they're fully licensed, they're salaried, um, but we are providing them kind of ongoing in-house mentoring um, as part of their uh, 
program, it gives us a, a chance to kind of build them up in, in a kind of overall way that, you know, we, we think things should be done. So educating patients, exercising patients and empowering patients. It's not like, oh, you need to be able to follow this approach or you need to be certified in this. Maybe later down the line, but that's not important. Um, and I think also just uh, <laughs> like constantly reminding us that there's lots of times that patients respond uh, to maybe things that we're like, oh, I'm not really sure if that, that's the right thing to do, but, but sometimes they get better anyway. So kind of not, not taking ourselves too seriously or being too dogmatic um, in, in, in our approach, um, having a thorough like onboarding recruitment program. Uh, and so actually, as I've hired more and more people, I generally, over the last seven years, I've generally hired more and more junior members of staff, probably as I've got older, by definition, but they, they are junior. Um, but um, at least the, the last the last three that we've hired, they've all been new grads. And we've kind of, we don't necessarily um, pay the highest, um, but we offer opportunities for growth and development. And that's kind of like a nice feature to kind of, use as like an attraction if somebody's looking to kind of grow in development i'm not expecting them to stay here 10 years they might do but um if we can offer them a kind of growth and development program um it generally tells us something about their kind of mindset and how they want to be kind of mentored because what doesn't exist here is um there's no you know, national health service and kind of, you know, junior, senior, senior one or whatever it's called now. There's there's no like framework for kind of developing people. They generally expect if you come to this part of the world and you're earning a tax-free salary, they generally expect you to know what you're doing and just work, um, which is fine, but that, that has a limited lifespan. And I've been trying as I've kind of felt more and more comfortable here and my family is settled here my kids are now in school here yeah I'm like well for as long as I can I'd like to I'd like to continue here so let's start building something that might um you know have more kind of longevity it's not like oh let's see how much I can squeeze out of this in a year or two I, you know I'm kind of investing in people I guess um and um what you describe, Gareth, is remarkable in terms of the responsibility you take in the recruitment process for ensuring a good match and that expectations are aligned both ways. And so yeah. if, if every practice owner followed that principle of not I just need somebody now and who's in the local region, but took that sense of responsibility that even if the person does just live down the road, you had that sense of responsibility of, they're moving halfway across the planet to come and join us. Right. We need to make sure we're a really good fit and have perhaps some tricky conversations about expectations both ways. There would be a much more responsible and well-matched hire than a lot of the frustration that I hear where they just, I need somebody, grab anybody off the street that's got a pulse more or less or a license and then complain a few months down the line that things aren't working. Well, there's 
were expectations ever described or success ever you know shared is there any training is there any um mentorship is there, is there any ensuring that you are serving as the leader you are serving your team and not just expecting them to serve you and that you're taking the responsibility to understand rather than just to be understood i think what you're describing gareth is absolutely remarkable um and there's a lot the many practice owners to pick up in your conversation and listening to you yeah i remember somebody telling me um that hire slow and fire fast mm. uh, and um uh yeah it's it's kind of something kind of i've, I've learned um well one thing to say is i i'm, I'm not tech i'm not technically a a practice owner in my situation but i i kind of I've, I've kind of partnered and i have kind of a profit sharing arrangement so i do have some skin in the game um but um i've also noticed that like i shared at the start you can achieve a lot more kind of with a with a team and um at least of these three graduates at least two of them they get they're not getting mentored by me they're women's health therapists and they're getting mentored by my women's health lead and she's only able to do that because of the the growth that she's kind of had and, and actually she is kind of um empowered and excited to do this as they're like well I'm, I feel very accomplished in my role now what can I kind of do to kind of pass this on so um yeah the team has definitely uh, helped me in, in this process so Gareth, if people were interested in finding out more about working with you or just following your comments <laughs> and observations as an international physiotherapist, where can they where can they follow you? Yeah. So um I have a I have a very small following on Instagram. It's, it's at international physio. Um and my um personal or my professional e email is Dr. Dr. Gareth PT um, at gmail.com. Um, I don't I don't have any job opportunities at the moment. However, I have worked in Oman, I have worked in Qatar, and I currently work in the UAE. And I've applied for jobs in Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and Kuwait. So if anybody's looking to work in those places, I'm happy to just to give them some general advice, signpost them, um, help them with any queries i'm not a recruiter i i will not be taking any uh, a percentage of anything i could i'm just happy to guide people um so yeah if, if, that, if that's of interest please uh send me an email or i'll follow i'm also on linkedin as well um so there we go thank you very very much for sharing your wonderful wonderful insights and how adaptable you've learned to be thank you for joining me gareth